Welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly, Akira Utska, and me, I'm Howard Parker. Today's podcast, Katie Daly reaches back to 2016, where she talks to the legendary Sammy Sheeler. Katie and Sammy talk banjos, talk bluegrass music, and talk about the business of keeping a band on the road. Here's Katie Daly with Sammy Sheeler. So when, uh, you know, your new album, Bridging the Tradition, came out, mm-hmm. uh, it the press release was, it's it's groundbreaking because you've got keeping this tradition, but you've also got some of the modern sounds in it. Right. And this time, I think, because we see this kind of press all the time, no. but this one really, I think, lived up to it because Lonesome River Band is nominated for Album of the Year, Bridging the Tradition, on Mountain Home Music, Song of the Year, Thunder and Lightning, Gospel Recorded Performance uh, Rocking of the Cradle, and you have a nomination again for IBMA Banjo Player of the Year, and that is a, an honor you've won four times. Five. Five? Yes. Wow. How did I miss the fifth one? 2012. It was, uh, see, 16 years in between, or 14 years in between. Yeah. I won 95, 6, 7, and 8, and in 2012. Okay, maybe like I didn't scroll down far enough on the screen. <laughs> what do you think with 14 years between uh, nominations or wins? What did you think? Did well, you think? one thing I can say, I've only missed one year of being nominated since 1994. Mm-hmm. I was nominated the first time in 94, and I'm, I think it was 2008 or 9 I didn't get nominated, and that's the only year I haven't been nominated. If I can do that for that many years consistently, I don't, I don't care whether I win or not. You know, it's like that to me. Just to be recognized that many years in the top five is just humbling and very, you know, very gratifying. That I must be doing something right. Stay in top of mind with your fans. Yeah. And that's yeah. important. Exactly. Always important. Exactly. Well, I uh, noticed a post you put on Facebook the other day on J.D. Crow's birthday. Oh, yeah. And you said, quote, Happy birthday to the great J.D. Crow, the main reason I do what I do, unquote. So what is it about J.D.'s playing that inspired you, that spoke to you? Well, I mean, J.D.'s take on the Scrug style, um, playing within the Scruggs realm, but not playing exactly like Scruggs on everything. Um, that inspired me. Also, Gene Parker did the same thing for me. Um, but the main reason I do what I do is because I watched J.D. Crow as a banjo player and a baritone singer be a band leader. And that's what I pandered myself after is the business side of things. And also Sonny Osborne. Uh, Sonny was the band leader of that group, mm-hmm. of the Osborne Brothers. And uh, he, was, he was a big mentor. Both those guys were big mentors to me, you know, teaching me about the business side of things. And, and the fact that you didn't have to be a front man lead singer to run a band and have a band. Um, you know, uh, the Osmond brothers never had anybody's name out in front of that. They had their family name in front of it, but um, J.D. always had his name out in front of the New South, but I never wanted to do that, but I've always been band leader and, and 
manager and road manager and bus driver and done all the business things for the band but they they were mentors to to tell me i didn't have to be a singer or um, you know the front guy to to keep a band on the road all right explain to people exactly the the role a band leader plays so that is of course, the sound of the band, hiring people, mm-hmm. worrying about the price of gas. What else do you have to do? <laughs> well, I mean, you have all the business things, uh, the road managing, you know, making sure you're at the right place at the right time, um, doing all the logistics to get everybody to the bus, you know, the pre, pre-leave logistics, then getting making sure the bus gets to the show on time and then all the setup stuff and then doing the business financial stuff afterwards uh then writing the paychecks at the end of the weekend so the band's happy when they go home mm-hmm. uh, and then you know luckily i have management and booking that's handled for the band uh so i don't have to do that thank goodness uh, but it's uh, it's just a lot of a lot of business things to keep track of, keeping merchandise in stock, um, keeping the oil changed in the bus, doing mechanical things, you know. Um, just all the, the, there's 30 hours a week besides what we do on the road, basically. Right. So somebody's got to do that. And as band leader, you're, you're the one that takes on that responsibility. I remember one day saying to Doyle something like, uh, well, after all, Doyle, your name's on the bus. And he said, well, after all, Katie, my name's on their check. Right. And so exactly. that was uh, put it right in perspective for me. But I also consider these guys equal members of the band musically. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they don't take responsibility for paying for the bus... You know they're not going to make as much money. <laughs> That's the bottom line. I see. Uh, all right. What are your other band? Who are your other banjo heroes? You mentioned Sonny Osborne and Sonny Osborne, J.D. Crow, Gene Parker. Uh, Gene being probably one of the biggest because he was from my area, mm-hmm. and I got to see him a lot when I was young. Um, uh, Bill Emerson, uh, Bela Fleck. Um, I mean, there's just so many people I listened to and tried to learn what I could from them. And, uh, uh, of course, Earl Scruggs. I mean, Earl, I saw Earl play in Hillsville, Virginia at the VFW building in 1966. I was four years old. And that was the first, first guy I really, first professional band I ever got to watch. And just their choreography and their tightness of their music and so forth. That was just that heavily inspired me. You remember their choreography? From I, the I remember four? watching the movement on stage and watching them going in and out of that microphone and those hats and those suits, and it was just you know it had me. My eyes were big as saucers, and it was. Um, I remember it well, and it, it because my grandfather played the banjo, so I had been exposed to banjo music from the time I was born. But to to see that in action and what it was really supposed to be like, you know, I, I just up to that point, I just heard my grandpa playing banjo sitting on the couch. Mm-hmm. But to see that that was that was inspiring, you know, and that's when I, I started playing soon after that. 
Well, your grandfather uh, built you your first banjo. Mm-hmm. Tell mm-hmm. us about that because I think that is a it really is a charming story. Well, it's um, it's been told many times, but um, he wanted to build me a, a miniature banjo when I was like four, and uh, because I had shown an interest in it and. The only thing he could find to build the pot out of that was small enough was a pressure cooker. So he took and somehow sliced rings out of this pressure cooker to use as the outside and then built a wood rim inside of it. Then it had... um, um, he went to the local tractor supply place and bought a bunch of bolts and drilled holes through the wood and used and drilled holes through the bolts themselves and used those and close hanger wire to hold on a tin head and it was just i i I need to take some pictures of that thing and post it sometime because I've still got it. It's in my safe at home, and uh, I wouldn't take a million dollars for that. Now, what was his job that he would have the skill to do that? He was actually a, um, a state highway department worker. He, he drove a truck and drove heavy equipment. Um, he was he just loved tinkering with wood and and he built after that he built I think it was sixteen or seventeen banjos and they were crude I mean they were nothing like Gibson things or whatever but I've I've managed to buy back four of them in the last five years or so that I've run across and um, you ran across or you track them down I would I would track them down or somebody would tell me they would have I'd hear about somebody having one of them I'd go see them and and most of them sold them to me for what he sold them to them for back in the 70s which is like 200 300 dollars you know yeah you know and they wanted me to have them so I've collected a few of them back Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right well now the banjo players out there in the world will go crazy if I don't get you to geek out about what you're playing today these days um well i endorse for huber banjos um i play i have my own model huber banjo sammy sheeler model which is a copy of a 1941 original uh gibson tb75 that's had a reproduction five string neck built in built for it um i play them about half and half uh i still like to play my o and i still record with my o and on uh the biggest biggest part of the time but um you know i um those are my two two main and then also i i have um uh, Gibson RB11 that I play that's got more of an old-timey sound to it. Uh, we we do a, we incorporate a lot of old-time music into what we do, and uh, the things that those songs that we do, I play that banjo on it because it has a more mellow sound, and it, it's also lighter too. And when I'm limping around with my back bother me, uh, it, it helps a lot. I understand that uh, now. You know that old joke, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Mm-hmm. Practice, practice, practice. Mm-hmm. And obviously you've done a lot of practice and continue to play beautifully. But in every career, there's a moment or a person that it's just raw luck that came your way. Right. You know, that you uh, got on the bus and met somebody or didn't get on the airplane like, mm-hmm. you know, the big mm-hmm. bopper wanted your seat. Uh, and so... Do, tell me a moment or a person who brought such luck to your career that changed it up for you. Well, I did get to play Carnegie Hall with Alan Jackson, and that was a very lucky opportunity. Uh, just 
the gentleman that put that band together happened to be a fan of mine through playing with Tony Rice. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess my association with Tony Rice started... That was that was a chance happening because we were playing. This was back in Virginia Squires days in eighty seven, eighty six, eighty seven, somewhere in that neighborhood. We were playing in Withlacoochee, Florida, and Tony was living near there, and we were all just huge Tony fans, and um, had never got a chance to meet him, and happened to look out in the audience, and he was standing out there. Oh, so, my. you know, we geeked out, and did your heart stop? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Tony, you talk about banjo players that influenced me, but Tony influenced my music more than anyone. And I think he's influenced more people than anybody in this industry, um, all in all. And uh, Because? How? He, he, he came along and did something nobody else had done, uh, rhythmically. Uh, playing lead on guitar and bluegrass, you know, I mean, to the to the level that he did it. Um, the, but I think mostly rhythmically, he changed single-handedly changed the sound of, of bluegrass music, and he incorporated what he learned from um, Lester Flat and and great rhythm players of the forties and fifties. And took it his own direction, and it and it changed the the feel of music or bluegrass music. So we, it's good to honor the tradition, mm -hmm. but it's important to move it forward, right? I think so. It the you know, and one of the things I've noticed recently um, seems like the remakes are more popular than than original new music. Um, we've always done new songs, and I mean, we'll pull maybe one or two or three old ones out and record them from somewhere else, you know, whether it be country, rock, um, or bluegrass. And um, but the rest of the album's going to be filled with fresh material that we, are, that I'll, I'll say that Brandon had a part in writing or. Writers who are close to us had a part, part in writing. We have a pool of about a dozen writers that we really like, and we go to constantly to get material. Can you name some of those for me off the well, top of Well, Adam your head? Wright, Marvin Clark, um, Jerry Sally, uh, a lot of the guys that Brandon writes with. Um, and then we also have a, a gentleman in Nashville who is a song plugger named Cheryl Blackman, who has been a real important part. Knowing him over the past five or six years has gotten us a lot of great songs. And, and what's his first name? Cheryl. Cheryl. Yeah, it's S-H-E-R-R-I-L-L, -L, okay. I think, right. Blackman. And one of the sweetest guys you ever want to meet. And, and I just found his card one day. And I needed some songs for a project I was producing, and I called him up and I said, you know, most of you guys in Nashville don't want bluegrass people cutting the songs. He said, I don't care who cuts them. He said, I'll send you anything you want. Mm. I said, you my friend. <laughs> so, you know, it's been a great... Um, we got nominated for Song of the Year for Turn on a Dime. We got that from Cheryl. Um, a guy named Britton Baxter, and um, there was... Um, there was three writers on that song, and one of them's passed away since then. I can't remember the names right now, but um, you know, it's like just having access to really good material that we, 
normally a bluegrass band wouldn't get because most song pluggers, like when we cut straight dogs and alley cats, we got it off of Harley Allen's Live at the Bluebird. Well, he had already recorded it and released it, but the publishing company didn't want us to cut it. After we had already finished it, they weren't going to release it. So I had to drive to Nashville, walk in their office, and just sit there and pitch a fit for about two hours, and they finally let us have it. You know, they kept saying, we're trying to protect the writer because it may not get cut. I'm like, country people don't care whether it's been cut in bluegrass. It never made the radio, you know, not where they're trying to get. So, you know, and Cheryl understands that. But so many publishers in Nashville don't. So it's great to have people like him um, and Adam Wright. Adam Wright is uh, Alan Jackson's nephew. And he was a co-producer on the Alan Jackson Bluegrass Project. So that's where I got to know him. And then Brandon, in turn, about the same time, got to know him through the writer circles and so forth. And, and he's one of those that sends us great material. And, you know, he doesn't care who cuts it. He right. just likes to get cuts, you know. And um, um, it's funny that one of the songs we did on Soundcheck, I'm On To You, um, I recorded in 1997, and that was written by a guy by the name of Jimmy Yeary, and that was his very first cut. Nobody had ever cut one of his songs before. Last year, he won the ACM Song of the Year, the CMA Song of the Year, and, you know, I mean, that's... I cut his very first cut, and now he's making all the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know I promised I wouldn't keep you very long. Uh, so let me just say, as the awards show's coming up in the end mm-hmm. of September, let me wish you the best of luck Thank with uh, Album of the Year and Song of the Year and Banjo Player of the Year. A gospel recorder Gospel recorder performance. Which we didn't really consider a gospel song, but really? that's great. So how did that happen? I don't know. I have no idea. They just showed up. and I mean, it's an inspirational song. Right. And I'm glad they looked at it that way because it's that was the song that when we cut this record and we you were talking about breaking new ground and so forth, basically what we did was go in and cut a, an acoustic country record for our own enjoyment. That we weren't out to impress anybody but us. We went in. We started that record. We got there at 6 o'clock on a Sunday night. And we had the studio booked at 10 o'clock Monday morning, and we didn't have a single song picked. Pulled in in the bus, parked in the parking lot. We had a bunch of catalog that we had collected over a year's time. And so we just sat down and started listening. Well, we had Tony Christman coming in to play drums and percussion on Monday, so we figured we'll pick... What was his name again? Uh, Tony Creaseman. He's the staff drummer at Mountain Home. And one of the most amazing musicians I've ever been around in my life. But um, he, uh, we had him coming in, so we said, well, we'll pick what, you know, we think the drums will fit on. And uh, so we got to listening, and Rockin' the Cradle came up, and then Brandon co-wrote that uh, Mirrors Never Lie. Um, we had been sitting on boats up the river for like three years. We we got that arrangement from a uh, uh, gentleman over in Shenandoah Valley, James Leva. Old, it was an old-time version, but we like to do our twist on the old-time songs. And um, so we picked like six songs that we really liked that weren't bluegrass at all. 
and said, well, we're just going to go in and have fun and cut these songs. And, you know, if we don't finish up these six with Tony, well, maybe he can come back another time and overdub or whatever. So we we started actually recording at 1.15 on Monday afternoon. And at 6.15, he was packing his drum kit, and we were finished the six songs. I mean, finished. It was so much fun. We'd go in and listen to them and chart them and go in and start playing. We'd get halfway through it, and I'd tell the engineer, turn that thing on. And we would play it the next time through and be done with it because it was fun. It felt good. Right. You know, and so we basically cut this record for a fun thing for us and had no intention of ever getting any nominations out of it. And it worked. Well... It, when we go in to cut one with the intention of getting nominations, it never happens. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. That was Katie Daly and Sammy Sheeler at an interview recorded at the Hamilton Live, Washington, D.C., in August 2016. Today, 2019, pleased to announce that Sammy and the Lonesome River Band have just released the single Little Magnolia on Mountain Home Music. For more information about Sammy Sheeler, go to the web sammysheeler.com or thelonesomeriverband.com. This is Howard Parker. Thanks for listening. A transcript of today's podcast can be found at Bluegrass Today at www.bluegrasstoday.com.